This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg These little letters, a collection of letters of the Alter Rebbe, which the children put into the Tanya after the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shnei Zalman, passed away. And these letters were mostly um, appeal letters, charity appeal letters. But they're a little different than the charity appeal letters we get in the mail. <laughs> you know, a sob story, and write a check. These letters are very, you have to learn them, and they shed light on the profound meaning of giving tzedakah, what it means to give tzedakah to charity, and the effect that it has. So he quotes from the Torah, and he illuminates a different point. And by the time you absorb and you internalize the idea that he's describing, you take out the check and you write a check, because you realize the power of giving tzedakah and what's accomplished by this mitzvah of giving, giving tzedakah, giving charity. So they cut out the openings of the letters, the conclusion of the letters. They included the body of the letter, which is really the point, the main point. If he sent these letters, how did they get them? No, they, they were sent to all the Hasidim. They were like general, general letters. These were like annual appeal letters, which were sent to all the Hasidim. This letter is based on a passage of the prayer book we say every morning in the prayer. And we say he sows tzedakah, he sows charity, and causes deliverance to sprout forth. Tzedakah could mean acts of righteousness, but it also means acts of charity. Tzedakah in Hebrew could either mean righteousness, but it also means literally charity, giving charity. So since he uses it in the plural, it could mean, it could mean both, both ideas. The idea of righteousness, you plant, you sow righteousness, but also you sow tzedakah. You sow charity, which will sprout help, Yeshua's, which will sprout forth deliverance. And the question that he's going to address here is... It doesn't make sense to associate charity with sowing. The simile, the analogy doesn't fit. It would make sense to say, by giving tzedakah, you buy deliverance, you acquire deliverance. Because tzedakah, charity, is you give money. So it makes sense, by giving money and helping a person in need, and being charitable, and being generous, and being kind, you acquire, you buy for yourself deliverance. But why this simile and the analogy of sowing, planting? What does sowing a seed, planting a seed, what does that have to do with tzedakah? The tzedakah is planting the seed, 
which will sprout into deliverance. It doesn't seem to fit. But this passage of the prayer is actually based on a verse in the Bible. He says, the use of the idiom sowing in relation to the commandment of charity, which is very peculiar, but this is based on a verse in Hosea, the prophet Hosea, and the prophet Hosea, likewise in the verse, the prophet Hosea says, sow for yourself for tzedakah, and reap according to the measure of chesed. So he also there uses the expression, you sow for yourself tzedakah, charity, and therefore you're going to reap according to the measure of your charity, of your kindness, you will reap the reward, the deliverance, the blessing. So, the, so this is the question, why does the verse, does the Bible and the passage of the prayer book, which is based on, the, on this biblical verse, why does the Torah associate tzedakah with sowing and planting? By the way, this class should be dedicated, I just heard the tra- tragic news, the Rabbi Daniel Maskowitz, the head of Chabad of Illinois, Actually, a young person, 59 years old, just suddenly uh, passed away. He had a minor surgery and then never came out. So, uh, so let's dedicate the class in his in his, in his, in his, in his neshama. I didn't know him personally. He's older than me, but his brother was my classmate. But 59 is very young. He was he was healthy. He was vibrant. He was he opened up 59 Chabad houses throughout Illinois. And um, started started with nothing, and uh, it's like a shock, like sudden, suddenly. So uh, he should represent all the shluchim and uh, the man from on high, the man from Hashem, that to bring an end to all tragedies and and um, you know demand the coming of Mashiach now. May be understood in the light of teaching of our sages. Rabbi Elazar would give a coin to a poor person. He would then pray, for it is written, through Sedek will I behold your face. And Sedek, righteousness, is closely related to tzedakah, charity. From this he learned, Rabbi Elazar, one of the Talmudic rabbis, before he would pray to Hashem, which prayer is a very spiritual moment, a moment of meditation, a prayer, of connecting so he would find a poor person and he would give a penny to charity. He would give a poor person some money. And then he would go pray. And he based it on the verse, on the verse of Psalms written by King David. King David writes in the biblical verse of Psalms that through tzedek I will see your face, I will behold your face. So through tzedakah, Literally, it means through righteousness, I will behold your face. But he interpreted it through tzedek. It's closely associated. The same word, the same root, that through tzedakah, through charity, I will see your face. And now he's going to explain how does seeing your face refer specifically to charity. And in order to be able to see God's face, you have to give tzedakah. Why is giving tzedakah, what's the association, the connection by giving tzedakah, by giving charity, giving a penny to a poor person and giving him some bread to eat? This will help your prayer. What's the connection? It's a very nice thing to give tzedakah, but what's, 
the association? What's the link? What's the connection? That this is the only thing that will trigger the response in order for me to see God's face, in order for God to show me His face, to trigger this experience in prayer and meditation. The only way is by taking a penny out of my pocket and helping a poor person. What's the link? What's the connection? What's the logic? What's the... This means the reason prayer is deemed seeing God's face and the reason why this is attained by practicing prayer with charity is that the manifestation of divinity which is revealed in the thought of man and in his devotion during prayer in each individual according to his own measure. What happens during prayer? What are we trying to accomplish in prayer? Prayer is not just we're asking for our needs. We believe that in God, and we believe in one God, and we believe that God runs this world. Anything that happens in this world, we don't lift a pinky. Everything is decreed in heaven. Everything is really, Hashem is in control, is in charge. Just like the human body. Nothing happens in the human body without the soul. You don't move a pinky without the soul. What's the body without the soul? A corpse. Nothing. So any movement, any life sign in the body is really an expression of the life, of the energy, of the soul. We are the microcosm. From our microcosm, we extrapolate that the same is true with the macrocosm, that the world is a body. We see the world is alive, so there's a soul. The world is a soul. That's God. Nothing happens in this world. Whatever we see is just the symptom. We see the finger moving. Of course we know what's this finger moving. A finger is not, what's a finger? It's the soul that's moving. There's no, without the soul, the finger is just a corpse. The corpse doesn't move. So you don't see the soul, but you know that the soul is there. We're more certain of the soul than anything else we can see or taste or touch or smell. That's how we feel on the inside. We know, we're alive, that energy, we sense it, we feel it. So from this we can understand, we can relate to the whole world. The whole world is also a body. And there's a soul, and that's God. And that's Hashem. So Hashem is in charge of the world, and runs the world, and controls the world. And that's on a very basic level, that's the reason you pray. You know that all your needs come from Hashem. Of course you have to talk to the financial consultant, and of course you have to talk to the, to the, medical, the medical expert. But at the end of the day... Anything that happens in this world comes directly from Hashem. It's connected from, from Hashem. So, instead of just dealing with the symptom, you go straight to the root cause. Of course, we have to act in a natural way, so we have to act in a, in a material way. But never for a moment do we think that it's the, it's the doctor. The doctor is just an agent to bring my healing. The, whatever I'm, I'm working on a living, it's just, a, it's just an agent. It's not The blessing comes from the soul. It comes from Hashem. So whatever I need, whether it's health or financial success or peace at home or children or whatever it is, anything or everything, there's only one address. Ultimately, there's one address where I address all my needs to. That's a simple, basic idea of prayer. But prayer, there's something much deeper in prayer. In prayer, we're trying to experience godliness. Because if that was what prayer was all about, just to ask our needs, to acknowledge God and to thank Him for all the good things in our lives. Because you don't only pray when you have a need. Every day there's an obligation to pray. Even when you don't have a need. Just to say thank you. Just to acknowledge and be grateful 
and appreciate what you have. Don't take anything for granted. Everything, we ha- everything in life is a privilege. And we want to thank Hashem for giving us the privilege of existence, of health, of success, of pleasure. Anything that we have, we're grateful and we're thankful. We make a blessing before we benefit from this world. We appreciate it. We don't take anything for granted. Everything in life is a miracle. We don't take anything for granted. But if, that, if that's what prayer was all about, just to acknowledge and to give thanks and to ask whatever we need, prayer could be five minutes. Ten minutes. <laughs> but why do you have, We have a whole structure of prayer. Morning prayers can take an hour. So obviously, we're trying to get at, we're trying to accomplish much more. There's something much deeper in prayer than asking for our needs. On a deeper level, prayer is a time to work on your character. It's a time of therapy, real therapy, changing your character, your personality, working on your traits, your anger issues and your jealousy issues and your arrogant issues and your superiority complexes, your inferiority complexes, whatever complexes you're gifted with, to work on, on, because men, we're born rough, we're like rough hide. Rough hide, it's rough. To take that rough hide of an animal and turn it into silky leather, into something very fine, it takes a lot of work. You have, to, you have to skin the animal, and you have to smooth the animal, and you have to soak it, and you have to scrape it. and you have to, It's a whole to-do. It's a whole a tremendous effort. So too, we are like diamonds in the rough. We all have tremendous potential, but we have this rough hide. And we have our rough edges. We're born naturally selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed and petty and, and you know, jealousies and angers and arrogance and ego and blind spots and, you know, all the silliness that makes life so interesting and uh, makes life so frustrating. All our psychological hang-ups, which keep millions of psychologists in business <laughs> full-time. <laughs> Um, so, God gave us all the potential, the raw potential, but to take that potential and to make it into a mensch, that takes effort. That's why some of the commentators explain why the Torah says when it comes to creation, the beginning and narration in Genesis, God said there should be the, the animal, there should be grass. When it comes to man, God says in the plural, let us make man. What do you mean, let us make man? There's only one God. Who is God speaking to? So, allegorically, what the Torah is telling us, to make man means to make a mensch. To make a mensch, it's a team effort. It's a joint effort. God says to the person himself, let us together, we'll make you into a mensch. I'm giving you all the raw material. But to get from that raw material to something useful and pleasurable and beneficial to yourself and to others around you, it's going to be a collaborative effort. It's a team effort. It's a partnership. I can't do it for you. You have, to, you have to take the bull by the horn and you have to take charge and you have to uh, work together. So to, you know, it's like God created this whole world that way. You want to get a piece of bread? You know what's involved in getting a piece of bread? We take it for granted. You just go to the store and buy a piece of bread. There are 11 steps to get to a piece of bread. 
Could you think of what those 11 steps are? Just yeah. think offhand. So the, so the, the field, you got to plow the field. got to plow the field. you got to sow the field. got to plant a seed. Uh, I mean, that's sowing, yeah, planting. That's two. you got to water it. You have a harvest. Okay, watering is part, either part of uh, plowing or it's considered part of planting. Okay, we got to water you got to uh, uh, harvest it, okay. After you harvest, first you have to gather it. To gather the sheaves, that's four. Five, you got to thresh it. So you have to thresh it to separate the kernels from the shaft. Then you have to th- you throw it up into the wind so the shaft gets blown away and the kernels drop to the ground. So you separated the shaft from the kernels. Now the kernels are mixed with the dirt and the dust, so now I have to separate the pebbles from the, from the kernels of wheat. That's... Uh, sifting is later. Before sifting, you have to separate. That's the seven, number seven. Then, now I have clean kernels and I g- gather it together. Now I have to grind it. I have to gotta grind it. That's step number eight. After you grind it, then you sift it. Because even the kernel also has the shell of the kernel and the inside of the kernel. So you want to separate the, the finer flour, the finer powder from the thicker flour. That's <laughs> number nine. Then you take this flour and you pour, you pour water and you start kneading it. You turn into dough. And then you take the dough and you throw it into the oven. And then you get a delicious piece of bread. Eleven steps. So yeah, God gave us all the tools. Everything is there, but He gave us the raw material. But to get this raw material and to turn it into transform it into something edible, nutritious and edible, you're going to have to work. It's a partnership. That's how Hashem created human nature. People worship nature. Nature is mediocrity. What are you worshipping? Nature itself is mediocrity. What are you going to do with nature? It's what you do with nature. If you take the nature and you turn it into the leather hide, you take this raw hide of an animal that's rough, and you turn it through tremendous effort, you turn it, ah, then nature sparkles. Then you bring out all the potential within nature. You take all this wheat and you plant the wheat and you sow the wheat and you, t- and you harvest it. And finally, then you get a nutritious, edible piece of bread that will nurture you and sustain you. The same thing is with human nature. A person who just follows his nature and his urges and his instincts and lives like an animal. I want to be natural. I want to be natural. It's mediocrity. What's natural? That's rough hide. That's, that's a child. That's an immature child who's selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, impossible to live with, self-destructive, addictive, junk food, junk lifestyle. This is not a way to live. Hashem gave us all the potential, but He needs our help to take this potential, this rough potential, and to transform it into something. Where do you transform this? All transformation can only happen when you have energy. It's like the ironsmith. The ironsmith needs fire in order to bend the shape, the gold, the silver. When you have fire, then you can shape and you can take take metal and turn it into fire fine product, a finished product, a useful product. Same thing is with a person. If you want to change your personality, you want to change your character, you want to improve your personality, improve your character, work on yourself and become a better person, a more pleasant person, a human being, a mensch, a more pleasant person, uh, just a kinder person, a richer, living a richer life, a much more enjoyable life, a self-fulfilling life. The only way you're going to make that change is through fire. That's what we call prayer. 
prayer was a substitute for the sacrifices that were offered in the temple on the altar, on the fire. Because without energy, without fire, there is no change. You can't change. A person who's content with themselves, a person who's satisfied with themselves, a person, it's like a stone. A stone is unbudgeable. A person is so happy with themselves and so content with themselves, there's no change. It's not even possible to change. It's only when a person's like a fire, you elevate a little spiritual, you're seeking, you're searching, you're, you're yearning. Then in that fire, you can, in that furnace, you can shape, you can change, you can mold, you can mold a mensch. Change is possible. That's what prayer is. Prayer is that moment. It's a time of fire. It's a time when, when you're yearning for something spiritual, for something godly, when you're opening your heart and opening your mind and looking to change and trying to improve yourself and trying to change in the fiery prayer there you can improve your personality and character so that's a higher form of prayer that's a deeper form of prayer it's not just I'm praying for my needs Hashem this is what I need this is my laundry list <laughs> take care of it I'll see you tomorrow you know it's prayer is a time also you want Hashem to give you what you need what does God need you he needs you to do, you do what you can. I'll do what I can. God says, I'll, everything comes from me. Health, success. I'll, I can take care of my part. But I need you to do your part. Focus on the one area in your life that you could change. Yourself. Your personality. Your character. Your morality. Your ethics. Your behavior. Your attitudes. Change it. If you'll change, you'll see your whole life will change. Because anything negative that was happening was happening to a different person. Now that you've become a new person, a changed person, you've shaped, you've molded, you've formed yourself, you're a much el- more elevated person, your mazel changes also. Everything changes because it's a different person. As a result of prayer, you're not the same person. If you're not the same person, the results will also change. You'll see changes happening in your life for the better, in health, and success, in every area in your life because you've changed. So this is a deeper understanding of our prayers. But then there's even a deeper level of prayer. Prayer, it's a time to focus, to center yourself, to connect. The root of the word prayer, tefillah, is it's not only a time of soul-searching and self-evaluation, but it's honestly, honest self-evaluation. It's also a time of connection. To connect with something godly. To really remember that we are basically godly beings, spiritual beings, that are having human experiences. We think that we're human beings that occasionally have some godly experience. On a holiday, on a special day, Yom Kippur, on Pesach, special moments in our lives. The day we get married, the day we have a child. But the truth is, we are essentially godly beings that were sent into this world with a sense of mission and with a purpose. We are souls. We, are, we have a piece of the divine essence within us. But we forget. When you wake up in the morning, you're still half asleep. Spiritually half asleep also. We get so distracted, we get so caught up that we forget who we really are, what we're really all about, what makes us tick, what really inspires us, what excites us, what 
moves us. And prayer is a time to center, to be focused, to connect. To connect to the center of your being, which is, which is that godly spark, which is really located at the very core and essence of your being. And once you're centered and focused, then you can go and deal with the rest of the day. Now I can go out into the world because I know who I am. I feel, I've experienced that connection. So prayer is a time to experience godliness. To experience that connection with godliness. And once you taste that, once you experience that, then it it keeps you focused for the rest of the day. You won't get distracted. Then you'll have the clarity to deal with all, to engage in the world, but you have the clarity. You know what's the means and what's the end. You won't confuse the shell for the fruit. Most people throw out the fruit and eat the shell. And they wonder why they have stomach aches. You're munching on, on shells. If all you're eating is junk food and drunk lifestyle and drunk science, and, and I wonder why there's nothing there. There's nothing there to nourish you. There's nothing there to nurture you. Versus a shell could be very beneficial as long as your priorities are straight. If you know it's a shell, it's there to protect the fruit. Materialism is a shell. There's nothing wrong with materialism. Money is a blessing. The Forbes 400, right? It just came out. The new Forbes 400. Money could be the very powerful blessing. As long as it's a shell. It's a means to an end. As long as you never, you don't confuse the end for the means. When the means become the end, and that becomes your whole definition. And your whole life is about indulgence, power, fame, money. Then it becomes a trap. It becomes a prison. It becomes an addiction. And it, it becomes something, a burden. Not a source of joy. But when, you're, when everything is in the right position, when materialism is a shell, that's all it is. A means. And it could be a very powerful means. A tremendous good things you can do with power and with money and with influence and with fame. But as long as you're not defined by it, you have a much deeper definition. Your definition is your relationship with God. That's who you are. That's what gives you confidence. That's what gives you strength. Then everything falls into place and everything is a blessing. Then you can negotiate the realities of life and the challenges of life with a very wholesome, very healthy attitude. That's why Shabbat is so special. Because on Shabbat, you walk away from everything. How do I know that money doesn't define you, even though you're engaged in it six days a week, if you can walk away from it? If there's one day that you can't walk away from it, completely walk away from it, then you're trapped. You're in prison. You're defined by it. If when you have Shabbat and you can completely walk away from all the material props and the external props and you can just be yourself and celebrate and being and, and things that really matter, your family and spend time to nourish and nurture your neshama, your soul, then the six days a week become a blessing. So this is what prayer is. Prayer is a time before you engage the world, all your activities. The first thing you do when you wake up 
spiritually wake up. To become aware, to connect, to experience godliness. And once you centered, focused, then, then now I have, I'm armed, I'm strengthened, I'm rejuvenated, I have the strength, the energy, I can go out and I can do business in a kosher way. I can treat people with treat, by treating people properly and doing business in an honest way. Then I won't drown. Otherwise you drown. You get so caught up in materialism, in the externals, money, power, fame, indulgence, you start drowning. Instead of a blessing, it just becomes a curse. But when you first enter into the ark, enter into the words of Torah, and you really get into it, and you experience godliness, and it inspires you, and you feel wholesome, and uplifted, and connected, then it's like the ark that saves us from the flood. Then you can negotiate even the flood. And you'll remain whole, your family will remain whole, and life is beautiful. Life can be a blessing. You know, it's ironic, the Jewish people who have suffered more than anyone else, probably combined, and yet we celebrate life. We look at life as a blessing. Life in this world. <laughs> we don't talk about life in the, uh, the afterlife. But life in this world. We look at it as a blessing. Because if you approach this world properly, from a Jewish point of view, from a Torah point of view, from a prayer point of view, from a godly point of view, it's God's world. It's a beautiful world. This world is not a jungle. It doesn't have to be a jungle. We make it into a jungle. But naturally, this world is a Garden of Eden. It's God's world. But this is only possible when you have prayer. When you have that awareness, and you have that experience, and that connection. You experience that connection. This is, what, this is the glue that puts it all together. Without prayer, it's disjointed. It, it, it doesn't, it's fragmented. It, it just, you just can't put it all together. Prayer is what centers us, focuses us, connects us. And when we're connected and we're focused, the whole world falls into place. Our life falls into place. Like pieces of the puzzle. Suddenly, you know, there was a little child that put the very complex puzzle, put it all together. And they were wondering, how can you put it all together? And he showed them, on the other side of the puzzle was a picture of a person. <laughs> so it was very simple. Put everything in the right place, with the nose and the ears. And suddenly this whole world came together. Because when you're connected internally, inside, you're centered and focused and connected, it all comes together. The whole world comes together. It all comes from the inside. We are a microcosm of the whole universe. If we have our act together, and our family lives together, and our home lives together, and we are connected, the whole, the whole world falls into place. This world suddenly becomes the Garden of Eden that it could be. So this is what prayer is about. Prayer is about, it's about the manifestation of godliness. When a person, when godliness is revealed in your thoughts, in your devotion, you can sense godliness, you can experience godliness. And during prayer, you're not even, when you experience godliness, at that moment, you're not even tempted to do anything wrong. You're only tempted to do wholesome things, godly things, good things, mitzvot, Torah, good deeds, kindness. During prayer, it's not even a struggle. The rest of the day is a constant struggle for us to do the right thing. We're constantly distracted, constantly tempted. We're constantly being tested. 
that we have a, we have a security guard, and um, we have an Israeli company who who is in charge of our security, and they're constantly sending without the guard being aware. They're constantly sending. They're testing him. <laughs> they're sending. They're sending people. They want to see how he reacts if he's doing his job, if he's sli- sleeping on the job, if he's sharp, alert. Thank God he passed. <laughs> But he got a little annoyed. Is why you don't trust me? He says, no, of course we trust. But that's that's what they do in the army. They do this all the time. They're constantly testing, probing weaknesses and seeing if the if the person is really sharp and alert. You know, the bad news is the good news. God is doing that to us all the time. He's constantly sending us tests. He's testing us because he trusts us because he has confidence in us. But he's keeping us alert. He wants to make sure. You know, so it comes from left field and you don't expect it. You don't know it's a test. Hashem is constantly testing us. So a whole day, day, a day, our day is filled with tests. But in order to pass the test with flying colors, on during prayer at least, during prayer, we have a a free zone when it's no longer a struggle. It's not a conflict. Because during prayer, we're so immersed, absorbed, inspired by the prayer. We feel connected. We feel godly. It's like we come alive. It's like we're plugging in and suddenly we come to life. You know, a television could sit there and it's dead. A computer, you plug it in and suddenly there's color and there's music and there's sound. and there's, It's alive. We all have godly potential, but it's asleep. We don't sense it. We don't feel it. When you pray, it's like you plug in. It's like a surge of energy. And suddenly you come alive as a Jew. You come alive celebrating your relationship with Hashem, with God. And you, you feel, you experience it. At that moment of prayer, you get a reprieve. You have a rest. You, that, during the moments of prayer, you know, you, you're beyond the struggle. You want to do the right thing. You're inspired to do the right Then, even after prayer, when we immerse ourselves and we go into the world, but we still have that taste. That taste lingers throughout the rest of the day. And it's a reference point. We can always refer to that moment in the morning when we experience godliness and that keeps us above water. That keeps us ahead above water. That we have the strength to make the right decisions. Because if a person is weak, you can't make the right decisions. You don't have the strength to make the right decisions. I mean, there's a book came out recently. I forget the name. A very fascinating book. You know, the importance of Impulse control. How in America that's completely out the window. But for psychological health, a person who has no impulse control is lost. This is so self-destructive. It leads to misery. I mean, the person is miserable. But they said in order for a person to have impulse control, if a person is weak, you don't have the strength to make those decisions. You simply don't have the strength. You know, it's like the worst thing you can do is you come to a client and you give him a whole menu of choices. The person is so overwhelmed, he just, he, he can't make any choice. He's like paralyzed. You have to give him a simple choice. One, two, three, and that's it. Because if you overwhelm him, he just doesn't, feels weak. He doesn't have the strength. They say when a person feels weak, for example, they did a test, a shocking test. They, they tested... They were looking into parole boards. And they were wondering why some people do receive parole, some people don't. And they were, they were very puzzled because there are many inmates that have the exact same case, identical cases. 
And there was no logical reason why this person, the parole board, minimized the sentence and freed him early, and this one got rejected. They were trying to find, what's the, there has to be a pattern, there has to be a, some logic, why? And they tested thousands and thousands of cases. And you'll be shocked by the results. <laughs> it came down to one difference, boiled down to one difference. If it was before lunch or after lunch. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> before lunch, the judges were starving. They had no energy. They were impatient. They just didn't have the strength to make a decision. So they just dismissed it. They couldn't make a decision. After lunch, they were well fed. They, were, they felt strength. They felt strengthened. They were able to make decisions. <laughs> I mean... The shocking, shocking thing, but this is this is what they this is what they discovered after they studied thousands of cases. This is what they discovered. So too, just like when a person physically, when you have no strength, a person doesn't sleep, a person doesn't eat. You don't have strength. You don't have the strength to make the right decisions when you have tests. That are, you don't have the strength to be able to impulse control. You have to be strong. You have to have a, a certain strength. The same is true spiritually. A person doesn't have any spiritual strength, any oomph, any strength. If your relationship to God, if your relationship to godliness, there's no energy in it, and there's no strength in it, and it's not vibrant, and it's not alive, and you don't experience that connection, you don't have the strength to withstand all the tests and the distractions that are constantly thrown at us. You just can't help but just, you know, take the path of least resistance. Junk lifestyle, junk food, and junk everything. You You don't have the energy to fight it or to, even though you know while you're doing it you know it's self-destructive and I hate it and I, I wish I can stop I, you just can't help yourself so prayer is, the, is, is that surge of energy that gives you that strength that shot in the arm that gives you that that enables you to make all the right decisions throughout the rest of the day so this is the deepest meaning of prayer it's not just to pray for your needs it's not, it's not only just to work on your character to mold yourself in the fiery furnace of prayer. It's much deeper than that. It's, it's, this, is what you, this is when you plug in. This is what gives you the power and the strength to be able to make all the right decisions and to, do, and to live a wholesome life throughout the rest of the day. As you go about your business, your career, your business, your mundane, daily, ordinary life. So this is the revelation of godliness that a person experiences in prayer, everyone according to his measure. It's granted to man by way of divine charity, by the descent of Hashem's loving kindness, from world to world upon those who fear Him. So this is actually an act of charity. For a human being, a person, flesh and blood, in this material world, living in this material world, all that we know and all that we're aware of, especially today, for a person to actually be able to experience godliness, and to be inspired by a godly thought and to be uplifted, it's nothing less than an act of charity from Hashem. That He should enable us to be able to be lifted up and to be able to experience a genuine moment, an authentic moment, an authentic experience, a genuine experience. This is a pure act of gratuitous kindness from God. It's an act of charity. It's not something that he owes us. It's not something that... It's only out of God's kindness that he allows us to experience 
this level of godliness, this, this level of experience, to experience godliness in such a vivid way, in such a real way, where it comes alive to us in a very personal way. This is nothing short of an act of charity. Just like we give charity to a poor person in need, Hashem is giving us, sharing with us, and it's a pure act of charity. Because what's a true act of charity? Chesed. If you give someone something that he earns, it's not an act of charity. You're paying him a salary. Even if you give someone a bonus, okay, he can't demand the bonus because it's not something that you earn. If it's something that you earn, you demand it. You have a contract. You take him to court if he doesn't give it to you. Bonus, you can't take anyone to court. You can't demand it. But nevertheless, who do you give a bonus to? Someone who excels, someone who works hard. So you almost expect it. Okay, you don't have to give it to me, but you know, I've earned it. You know, so, so who do you give a gift to? You give a gift to someone, you don't, have to, you don't have to give a gift to anyone. If you have to, it's not a gift. It's earned salary. So a bonus is like a gift. But nevertheless, who do you give a gift to? Someone who pleases you, someone who earned it. I feel like giving a gift to this person. He went way beyond the letter of the law. He did something so special. I want to give him a gift. So, in a way, it's almost expected. You're not going to call it a charity. You're not going to call a gift a charity. It's not a charity. The person earned it. True charity is when there's absolutely no expectation. The person doesn't earn it. The person doesn't deserve it. There's no expectation. You just give it to him. It's an act of kindness. That's a true act of kindness. For example, there is a concept that if you see a poor person, you have to help him. Okay. It's a mitzvah to help a poor person. But you can't call that a true act of kindness. A pure act of kindness. Why? Because in a way there's a certain logic. Does it make sense that he should starve to death? Well, I have five luxury homes and have more money. If I spend the rest of my life, I can't even count the amount of money that I have. So does it make sense that I should live in such luxury which I don't even need? How many pairs of shoes could a person wear? And how many steaks could you eat? And I mean, I'll sleep in another bedroom every night. What exactly a person probably needs to live luxuriously? What do you mean? A million dollars? Five million dollars? I mean, it reaches a point where what am I going to do with all that money? What do I need it? I have more money than I can ever use in ten lifetimes. So what's the point? So it doesn't make sense that I should live in luxury of luxury of luxury while the other person is, is starving to death. So it's only logical that if I can help him, if I'm in a position to help him, it's logical I should help him. Is that truly an act of pure kindness? It's almost logical. I mean, it makes sense. It's the right thing to do. But the Torah says there's no mitzvah to make another person rich. If you see a person in need, if you see a person who's starving, there's a mitzvah to help him. The Torah takes it a step further. What's, what does need mean? Need is very personal, very subjective. If you have a person who, when he was wealthy, was used to having servants run in front of him, announcing his presence, <laughs> he had people run ahead of him. Here comes Mr. Jones. We can't even relate to it because today even the wealthiest person in the world, uh, Bill Gates, right? He just made it back to the top again. 
I don't think Bill Gates has people running ahead of him announcing his presence. <laughs> but in the olden days, this was the norm. A wealthy person had a whole bunch of servants running in front of him. Here comes Mr. Jones. He's walking down the street. So it says, the Torah says he should help a person in need. So the Torah says, if this is his need, this is a need for him. He's so used to it. If you take it away from him, he's dead. If that's his need, that's part of tzedakah. Tzedakah doesn't only mean, listen, I'm going to give him a black piece of bread so he shouldn't starve to death. But anything more than that, I don't have to give him. No, it's everyone according to their need. If his need, he needs a person, and a servant running in front of him, announcing his presence, that's a need for him. It's all psychological. Like some people, I heard some person comment, who was a poor person collecting money in the street, and then they saw him eating in a, in a restaurant. So they were very upset. I thought you're starving and I'm helping a poor person. I expect you should be buying some old black bread that's wormy. You're sitting in a restaurant ordering a, ordering a nice sandwich. What kind, of, uh, what kind of con are you? But, but if you really think about it, maybe this person, if he doesn't have his meat, it, it, it's like that person with the servants running in front of him. It means he, he's not alive. Psychologically, he feels that he's dead. So maybe that's a need for him. If that's a need for him, then it's legitimate to give tzedakah to help him meet his needs. But that's the limit, to meet his needs. You don't have to make him rich. But if you make someone rich, this is a pure act of kindness. You're not obligated to. It doesn't even fall under the, the class of tzedakah, of charity. Charity means I have a person in need. I'm going to help him meet all his needs. But here I'm going way beyond his needs. I'm giving him only out of the, my generosity because I'm so generous and I'm so kind that I'm going to give him way beyond what his need is. So too, when God illuminates our soul and our thoughts and in prayer, He allows us to experience godliness and to be inspired by godliness. This is a gift from Hashem. This is pure, a pure act of kindness. He calls it a pure act of tzedakah. It's divine charity and a pure act of kindness, loving kindness. He's giving us something that's so rich, something that's so special, that here, human beings in this physical, material, earthy, coarse, crass world, we can have a moment in prayer where we can be lifted up and really experience a pure moment, a genuine moment, an authentic moment, a moving moment, a soul-stirring moment, where we can connect with godliness, experience godliness. This is, this is a gift from Hashem. Hashem illuminates our soul, illuminates our thoughts, and He allows us, enables us to have this wonderful experience pure act of tzedakah. This means that the light of Hashem, the infinite Ein Sof, radiates with so quantitatively great and so qualitatively intense a manifestation in the higher worlds above that they and the beings which inhabit them are truly in a state of self-nullification and considered as truly naught before Him and are absorbed in His light. In general, we have, we learned many times, discussed many times, there's two levels of godliness is God fills all the worlds and is God transcending all the worlds to use a human analogy there are things that we absorb and there are things that we absorb for example you're trying to understand an idea you're learning you're studying the idea you're acquiring something new you're learning a new language you're learning a new concept a new skill so you're learning you're acquiring the skill but then, there is a level where not you are absorbing. You become absorbed in something greater than yourself. 
When you absorb something, you're taking it in. It's limited. You're taking it in, you're understanding it, you're grasping it, you're making it part of you, you're learning a new skill, even you're learning a new song. I'm learning it, I'm acquiring it. But then there's the experience of losing yourself, becoming absorbed. After you've learned the song, then you start singing because you want to get lost in the song. You become absorbed in the song. You experience this one. And then, the, and then there's no limit. You can sing and sing and sing for hours. Sometimes you can get lost in a painting or a panorama. You're just lost in a... You're standing up in the Agra Falls. You're just lost. And you're looking. And you're looking. And you can look for hours. What are you, what are you, what are you looking? You're ready? You've seen whatever there, is needed, whatever there needs to be seen. But I'm not even here. I'm completely lost and absorbed in the experience. I forget about myself. I'm captured, captivated by this art, by this beauty, by this scene, by this song. I'm getting beyond myself. I'm being absorbed in something greater than me. So there's two levels. One is that I absorb, I am limited, and I am absorbing it and making it part of me. But then there's a higher level when you become absorbed in something greater than yourself. You absorb, you hear some new concept that blows your mind away. You never heard it before in your life and you're just absorbed by it and taken by it. and You, you just lose yourself in the experience. You lose any sense of self. You lose any sense of time, any sense of space. You lose your ego. Your ego is absorbed and lost in something greater than yourself. So too, there are two levels of godliness. One level of godliness where Hashem makes Himself known that we're able to receive and able to absorb within us. But then there's a higher level when God reveals His transcendent self. When God reveals His transcendent self, what's the effect? The effect is that you become absorbed in godliness. You lose your ego. You lose any sense of self. You lose any sense of separation. You're just completely lost and absorbed in this experience. It's way beyond you. This is the level of godliness, the infinite, of Hashem's infinite self that radiates within the higher worlds with a tremendous radiance which accomplishes and achieves a level where they completely lose any sense of ego, any sense of self, and they become completely as nothing before Hashem, completely lose their ego. And this is, we're going to learn, this is what happens, we say in prayer, this is what happens with the angels. When the angels experience this illumination of the divine transcendence, what's the response we say in prayer? In the passage before the passage which is the heading of this whole letter, we say the angels with great tumult, they're overwhelmed. When does a person feel overwhelmed or a tumult? Because they have this revelation of godliness that's so overwhelming that they just lose themselves. They're overwhelmed and there's a great tumult and a great noise and a great commotion because they're experiencing something that's beyond themselves. They can't get over it. 
It's an experience that's way beyond them. And they become completely lost and absorbed in this experience. And it's this light, this transcendent light, that creates this commotion amongst the angels and creates this, this experience of egolessness and self-nullification. It's this light that shines through in our prayer. When we pray, the ultimate experience of prayer, and this is the highest level of prayer, is that in prayer you experience godliness. You become egoless. You become absorbed in something greater than yourself. You become absorbed in godliness. And you lose yourself in godliness. And you completely forget about yourself and completely step outside of your ego. This is ultimately what prayer is about. This is the highest level of prayer. A person becomes egoless. And you experience that egolessness. You become lost in the experience, absorbed in that experience. And this ultimately is an act of kindness from Hashem. It's a pure act of tzedakah. For Hashem to allow us to experience Himself, His, His infinite self, and to allow us to become lost in His infinite self, to become absorbed in His infinite self, and to get beyond our ego and to become connected with Hashem and part of Hashem, this is a gift, this is a treasure, this is an act of tzedakah that's it's such a rich experience, it's so beyond... This is a pure act of tzedakah. It's not something we could demand, it's not something we... We even earn it's 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 an act of kindness of Hashem. These higher worlds of the Hechalot with the angels and souls within them that are spoken of in the sacred Zohar by their names and according to their places and levels as alluded to in the liturgy arranged for us by the men of the great assembly. Now this quote light which is good radiates from there to this lowly world upon those that fear God and meditate upon his name, who desire to worship him with the service of the heart, meaning prayer. As it is written, And Hashem will enlighten my darkness even in this world, which is so lowly that godliness is generally not manifest here. Now the descent of this illumination downwards to this world is called God's kindness. That's what he says with tzedakah, with righteousness, I will see your face. Because prayer, why does seeing your face refer to prayer? And as an introduction to prayer, you have to give tzedakah, to give to a poor person, help out a poor person, literally, physically, help out a poor person, give tzedakah. Because prayer is a time when you see Hashem's face, when Hashem shines His face, illuminates our soul with His radiance, with His infinite godly radiance which elicits that response of Hashem illuminates our darkness with a true ray and radiation of godliness we can experience egolessness experience godliness experience something so genuine authentic deep and profound so this is what he calls God's kindness for though this illumination is drawn down as a response to the divine service of the Jew, it outshines it out of all proportion. Its bestowal upon the lower worlds is thus truly an act of God's kindness, which is referred to as water, for it descends from a high place to a low place. So just like fire goes up, water flows downward. So kindness symbolized by water. That's the nature 
of kindness and the nature of water, water will always find the lowest place. So the nature of kindness is to find the lowest place, which is the human being, which is this world, the darkest place, spiritually speaking. And as a result of Hashem's kindness, and it's only as a result of Hashem's kindness, because our effort is not really commensurate to be able to achieve a level of egolessness and experience godliness and such purity, it's really beyond our human ability. Because ego is what we're all about. We all run on ego. It's the most natural thing in the world to us. To be able to go beyond your ego and to experience godliness in such a powerful way, profound way, in such a deep way, in such a moving way, in such a soul-stirring way, it's a pure act of kindness of Hashem just out of his kindness. Chesed. Real tzedakah. No rhyme, there's no reason, there's no logic, it's, it's, we don't deserve it. It's, 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 he's making us rich. He's giving us such a rich experience that's way, way, way beyond anything we could have possibly earned. It's not even a bonus. It's way beyond our needs. It's, it's a pure gift that we can experience a peace, not only a peace of heaven, but a peace of godliness, a peace of Hashem. But nevertheless... But it is conditioned on yeah. fear of God. Yes, right? it's conditioned on having fear. Does that mean fear. that it's only if we, yeah. we do repentance and teshuvah that God's going to be willing to provide us with this light? And this yes, because, you know, we, do have, we are thick-skinned. <laughs> We're very hard to get through. We have very thick skin. And um, if we're busy pursuing... You know, with, with our ar- ego and arrogance and indulgence and money and power and fame, and that becomes the end all. And then, then we don't. It's not even possible. We don't even. There's no breathing space. There's no room. There's no opening. You can't fill a full cup. A person has to be empty. The cup has to be empty. Then I can fill it. If a person feels a need, a person feels a yearning, a hunger. If you're not hungry, you can have the richest meal in the world. It means nothing. It tastes like dust to you. If you're starving, oh, everything tastes delicious. Water, there's nothing more delicious than a drop of cold water, refreshing water, if you're thirsty. But if you're satiated, it means nothing. Don't forget, God's blessings are compared to rain. Using the analogy here of, of, of sowing a field, it could rain. You can get all the rain in the world. But if you forget to plow the field, if you get to sow the field, the rain is wasted. You're not, a, you're not a vessel to receive it. It's when you do the effort. So what causes the, the, everything to grow? It's the rain. You can plow and sow from today till tomorrow. If you have a drought, like in California, you're not going to get anything. You need a rain. Without the rain, nothing happens. But rain alone, if you're, if you're not going to roll up your sleeve and you're not going to prepare the ground and loosen up the ground and, and prepare the ground and plant the seed, the rain will do nothing. Hashem could shower us, but when, we're not a vessel to receive it. It's only when you're a vessel, when you plow the field, you take the hard crust, the hard earth, and you soften it a little, a little God-fearing, a little humility, a little humbleness, a little openness a yearning to change, a seek, to be a seeker, a searcher, then there's an opening. There's an opening. Then the rain pours in 
and it sprouts forth. So we have to do our part. If we don't do our part, we have to make men. We were discussing earlier. It's a, it's, a, it's a joint effort. God will do His part, but if unless we roll up our sleeve and we grab the bull by the horn, even God is limited. He can help us. He can help us help ourselves. But when we help ourselves, then He helps us. And He gives us, He makes us rich. He gives us kindness, in a, in a true act of kindness, gratuitous act of kindness and tzedakah. Because he's giving us this richest experience that we can experience a sense of egolessness, a sense of godliness, such an uplifting, inspiring experience, a genuine, authentic experience. This, this is a gift. This is, this is beyond a gift. This is a pure act of tzedakah. A gift you, you, you don't earn, but you deserve. This he can't even say, even with all our effort, he can't even say we deserve this. This is, this is a, an illumination of God's infinite light. We should experience that because the only way to experience that sense of egolessness is only as a result of that illumination of, of God's infinite light, the transcendent light that causes the angels to create a whole stir, a whole commotion, like we say in the prayer. And we, we experience some of that illumination and therefore we also become absorbed in godliness and we sense godliness and we're elevated and moved and inspired and stirred. But nevertheless, so, so what's the act that prepares for us, that allows us to receive this kindness? God's kindness is drawn down through man's arousal initiated from below. It is thus that the coin that one gives a pauper that grants the giver the gift of beholding Hashem's face. The internal aspect of Godliness. Face comes from the word at the inside, because the whole inside of a person is written all over your face. You can't hide. The face, you can't hide. You can't mask it, you can't hide. A person who's selfish, all, no matter what, there's no trick to hide it. A person who's coarse, who's crass, who's a little child, it's written all over the face. Immature, it's written all over the face. You can't hide it. A person who's fine, a person who's a mensch, you can't hide it. Refined, it's written all over the face. The face doesn't hide anything. The face comes from the word pnimiyut. So when you say, Hashem, show me your face, it means show me your inside. The level of godliness that's transcendent. Not the level of godliness which is external. But the level of godliness which is truly transcendent. That's Hashem's face. That's what we're asking to see. Where do we see Hashem's face? Where do we come face to face with Hashem? During prayer. So in order to see Hashem's face, is one condition. Pitzedek, before you see Hashem's face, find a poor person, give money to tzedakah. Pitzedek, Rabbi Lazar would give, find a poor person and give him a penny to tzedakah, and only then would he go pray. So in order to experience prayer, to see Hashem's face, to receive this illumination, first you have to act in kind, because it's measure for measure. God treats us the way we treat others. Smile to another person, God will smile to you. Be kind to another person, God will be kind to you. Be gentle to another person, God will be gentle to you. In this way, man's kindness and tzedakah elicit God's kindness. So everything is measure for measure. However we do, that's how Hashem responds. God is interactive. We smile, He smiles. We're generous, kind. He's generous and kind. uh, One of the students, the colleagues of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, fellow student of the Magid, Abizusha of Anapola, 
very, very famous Hasidic master. You could read Eloise Zell's uh, Souls on Fire. If you haven't read, read it, I highly recommend it. And uh, this Rabbi Zusha was very poor. And uh, he would sit in the, in the synagogue all day and pray and study. And there was a uh, business person in the community. And he took pity, he had pity. He saw this rabbi, obviously a very holy rabbi, sitting all day and learning and studying. You can see from his face he was a very holy, holy rabbi. He decided to help him out. He has a large family to feed. He couldn't feed his family. He started giving him money and helping him out. And he noticed from that day on that he started helping this rabbi, his business took off. Anything he touched turned into gold. He kept on increasing the donations. As he succeeded more and more, the donations went up. His business went up, kept on going up. You know, he kept the secret to himself. A nice, uh, he had a nice thing going here. <laughs> Supporting the rabbi and his business. Anyway, he had the best year he ever had in business. There's no logical way to explain it. Only because he's helping out this rabbi. Rosh Hashanah. He knows there's a lot of holidays, many holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, many holidays. So he would, he wants to really show his appreciation to the rabbi. He should be able to celebrate all these holidays in comfort with his family. He comes to Shul with a huge bag of silver coins, golden coins. The rabbi is not there. Where's the rabbi? Oh, you don't know. Every year the rabbi goes to his rabbi. <laughs> he goes to the big rabbi, the grand rabbi, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magnum. He says, really? I thought I was supporting the grand rabbi. You mean he's just a small, small-time time rabbi? So he's thinking to himself, here, I was supporting the small-time rabbi, I was successful. Imagine if I'll start supporting the grand rabbi. Forget it. I'll be in the Forbes 400. So he, he travels to Mizrich, and he comes with a huge bag of gold, silver gold coins. He says, rabbi, Consider me your biggest supporter from now on. For all your effort, all your needs, whatever you need, I'm going to take care of. From that day on, everything went from bad to worse. <laughs> he failed at everything. His business went downhill until he was left with nothing. And he couldn't understand. He was very puzzled. It doesn't make sense to him. Here he was supporting the small rabbi. And he had this blessing, and here he's supporting the big rabbi, and everything is going downhill. So he decided to ask his rabbi in his town, Rabbi Zusha, the small rabbi. He says, Rabbi, please, please help me understand this. I don't understand. So the rabbi smiled. Rabbi Zusha smiled. said, let me explain to you. God is interactive. That's measure for measure. You saw, you saw a Jew in need. It was very simple, you weren't too calculated. You did, you did a good thing. So in heaven, they were thinking to themselves, does he really deserve this level of success? He? Are we kidding? But you know, he's doing kindness. He's doing good. He's not calculating. So they decided not to take a good look at you either. You know, just give him. He's giving. Let's just give him. Deserves, doesn't deserve, worthy, not worthy. Let, let's just... Bl- All of a sudden became a wise guy. He calculated. Small rabbis, big rabbis, big donations. 
Oh, you think so? They decided in heaven we're going to scrutinize you also. So they put you under the under the under the, the microscope. This lousy, good for nothing. He deserves all these blessings. Forget it. <laughs> As Hashem is interacting, the way we treat others, that's exactly the way Hashem treats us. We smile, He smiles. We're generous and forgiving. He's generous and forgiving and kind. So everything in this world is measure for measure. So in order to receive Hashem's face from His inner light, from His infinite light, His transcendent light, and to experience His kindness, His gratuitous kindness, and His riches of experiencing godliness and being absorbed in godliness and getting lost and losing your ego and becoming one with Hashem, it's only when you are kind you find the person in need and, you, and you're generous and you're kind. So that's why Rabbi Lozer, before he went to Davin, before he tra- wanted to a- achieve the purpose of prayer, the ultimate level of prayer, which is more than just asking for your needs, first thing he did is he found tzedakah, he found the poor person. Because what we're trying to experience in prayer is also an act of tzedakah. It's an act of charity from God. You want God to act charitable with you. You have to act charitable. You'll act charitable. God will act charitable. When you, literally, physically, when you act charitable, write the check and be are generous and kind and give tzedakah, Hashem will act charitable with us and allow us these riches and this kindness to experience Godliness. Experience His transcendent, infinite self. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com